0: Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Luke. I serve in the Young Adults Ministry here. And Van told me that if I want to put a funny clip in my message, I have to, like, tie it in. So I'll say this. Take that as a spiritual metaphor and don't do any of that. And there's your tie-in. Before I say anything else, I think it would be really cool if we prayed for Wilson. He's leaving this week. You guys agree? Yeah, so Will, would you mind coming up here again? If anyone would like to come up here and lay hands on Will as we pray, feel free to. We're so excited for him and the opportunities that he is getting. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. So, Lord, we bless Wilson, and we thank you, Jesus, for all that he's going to be doing. And, Lord, we ask that you go before him and you prepare the way for him. We thank you that you're already giving in the ground that he's going to be walking on. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you fill him, you prepare him, you give him peace and joy and excitement for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. We love you, Wilson. So we're in this series titled Life in the Wild. And one of the basic premise of this is that as Christians, life does not just become rosy and easy and a breeze. That as believers, we still face tough things, tough situations. We still go through struggles and face difficult circumstances. And one of the key questions that we're trying to answer in this series is this. Why is it that you can have two people come to Christ at a similar time, and both of them just be on fire for the Lord and passionate and doing incredible things for the kingdom? And when tough situations hit both of these two, one of them actually grows stronger through it, And keeps on going in the faith while the other one seems to fall away for whatever reason. What is the difference maker between the two? Why do we see some live out their full potential while others seem to kind of only last for a short minute and then fall away? And Van was talking about this two weeks ago as he introduced the series What Van was talking about, if you remember, is that one thing we have to do to live in the wild is prepare our minds for action. That we have to realize, okay, it's not a tame world out there. It's still a broken world, actually. And we have to prepare our minds to live in it. What Dave talked about last week was that God is not a vending machine. That one way we can thrive in the wild is is by not viewing God as someone who we can you know, press buttons and expect a result right away. And what I want to focus on this morning is that, um, I, really, I just want to share two things. One thing that we absolutely cannot do if we want to thrive and prosper in the wild. And secondly, one thing that we have to strive with everything we are to do. Really, I just want to share two things. And this is coming out of, um, I was spending time with Jesus in the morning, like I usually do, about a month ago, and I happened to stumble across the story of Samson. Now, for those of you who grew up in the church like me, Samson was one of those stories that we learned in Sunday school. And the unfortunate thing that I've kind of come to learn about Sunday school is that We learn these stories as little kids, and then when we went, at least for me, when I became an adult, I kind of thought, okay, those are, you know, I know those, I don't really need to go back to those. Um, And I feel like I kind of have uh, neglected some of those stories. Maybe some of you can relate with me on that. But what I, when I went back through the story of Samson, God just like opened it up to me in a fresh new way. And I just want to share with you some of the things that he was speaking to me about. So let's, uh, pray and then we'll get into it. Holy spirit, invite your presence here in Jesus name. This is all for your glory. We love you so much. And we ask that you inspire us and challenge us and grow us this morning in Jesus name. Amen. So turn your Bibles to judges 13. If you brought a Bible, if you did not the words will be up on the screen. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, but I feel like the story of Samson actually sheds a light into this question. Why does one prosper and one fall away? And I've only been in ministry for a short amount of time, and I'm still learning a ton. But I've seen this happen with people. I've seen two people come into our Young Adults Ministry house group, and one, and they're both just on fire for God. Like, they are approaching people in public, like... 10 to 12 people per day, and they are, you know, sharing with them encouraging words from God, and they're praying for people to be healed, and the people are healed, and people are coming to Christ. And there'll be two people that will just be doing these amazing things for God. And then some tough situation will hit, or um, sometimes it's been a, a significant other enters the picture. Or some um, career opportunity opens up or um, a sense of boredom sets in and they start to try to figure out how they're going to get rid of that sense of boredom. And none of those things are bad. But what we have to realize is that we, our call is to seek the kingdom of God first. And then all those things will be added. It's not the other way around. And so whatever it is, whatever the wild is for the person hits... And one will grow through it and thrive. You know, one of our leaders in the house group ministry, his name is Rick Rhodes. He leads the Coleraine house group now. But when he came into house group a little over two years ago, he was like a new believer, fresh. He was kind of the person that we cringed when he would share something in front of the whole group. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's how he was. Now, two and a half years later, Rick Rhodes, through power evangelism, has led over fifty strangers to Christ, and he is a leader of the Colerain House Group. And not, you know, even greater than that, he's a man of character. Um, He loves Jesus more than anything else, and I'm so proud of him. I've got to spend a lot of time personally developing him, Um, and so he's like the shining example of someone who has gone through tough stuff. And, and prospered through it. Other people I've seen, unfortunately, have just as much potential, if not more than Rick, but they kind of fade away. And this, so, what I'm really trying to say is this question is really near and dear to my heart because, as a leader, for me, nothing gives me more joy and excitement than seeing people's full potential released in them. That's what I live for, in all honesty. So with all that said, let's turn, well you already are there, let's let's read a little bit of Judges 13, start off in the story of Samson, and let's see what the Lord has for us today. So, let me give you a little bit of context before we read. Just a couple of centuries earlier, the Israelite people had been enslaved in Egypt under harsh, cruel, oppressive slavery. And... They were crying out to God who they hadn't heard from in 400 years. And so God raises up a leader named Moses and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and God protects them by inflicting plagues on the Egyptians when they came to try to stop it. And so they get out of Egypt and between Egypt and what was called the promised land, it's the land of Canaan where present day Israel and Palestine are between those two lands, Was a desert, and God or Moses had to lead the people through the desert to get to the promised land. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years before they got there. And so finally, they get there. Moses actually dies right before they enter into the promised land. And a new leader is raised up named Joshua. And Joshua is called by God to bring the people of God into the promised land and drive out all the nations. In fact, God said, I will drive out every single one of these nations before you if you just stay faithful to me. And so during Joshua's life, every battle is a victory, and they're pushing all these nations out of this land that God had prepared for the Israelites. But after Joshua dies, the people kind of fall back into old ways and old thinking patterns, and they become unfaithful to God. And whenever the people of Israel become unfaithful to God, typically some other nation gains power over them, and they're back into slavery. And the book of Judges is all about these men and women that God raised up to bring Israel back to a place of faithfulness to God and to deliver them from whoever it was that was inflicting slavery upon them. So Samson was one of those judges Let's read about the beginning of Samson in uh, Judges 13, verses 1 through 5. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, And he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It's really interesting how many Bible stories start off with a couple that can't have kids. With a barren woman. And it seems like God really specializes in getting barren women pregnant. If you read through the stories. (laughs) And so... I was thinking about like, why do so many of these stories start off like that? Like, um, Isaac was born that way. And so was Jacob. And what I felt like God spoke to me about was that when God does a move on this planet, one of the things that characterizes it is that he is constantly defying what we would consider impossible, that the moves of God shatter human beings, understanding of what is possible and what is impossible. And I think that God does that so that we know that it's not us that are doing these amazing things for the kingdom, that it's him. And he's the one who is achieving impossible things for us. So if you've ever thought before that, you know, there's no possible way that God could do anything amazing through my life. You're right for the plucking because God always does what he wants. He always defies the impossible. And he doesn't call the, the people that are already qualified. He actually qualifies the people that he calls. And that kind of ties into the point I want to make from this. If we read into the story of Samson, we see that from birth, he was set apart as a Nazarite to God. I don't want to take necessarily all the, all the time left to explain what it means for a person to take the Nazarite vow. If you want to read about it, it's in number six. But... Ultimately, what it means is that if someone were to take a Nazarite vow, they were set apart for God. And Samson was set apart for an extraordinary destiny from God. He was set apart to deliver the people of Israel from their slavery to the Philistines. You see, as we read in verse 1, Israel had rebelled again and became unfaithful to the Lord again. They fell under slavery to the Philistines. Now God is raising up Samson from birth to deliver them. And what I want to say to all of you, to all of us, is that we have an extraordinary destiny in the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying we as a collective, each individual person, every single one of us in this room, has the potential to be a world changer. Remember if you don't think you have any world-changing qualities about you, you're exactly the kind of person that God likes to use. Did you know that over 20 books in the Bible were written by murderers? Paul wrote half the New Testament. Before he did all the amazing things he did and changed the world, he was murdering Christians. King David, you know, hear about him. He's an ideal guy, a man after God's own heart. Murderer. Moses, the guy I just mentioned earlier, murderer. You see, God, he uses people that don't think they can do the things that he's calling them to do because God receives glory out of that. And I think God likes that. I think God likes challenging our own self-doubt. And so I really want all of you to get this, that you have the potential to change the world within you. I believe that God has implanted in every single one of his kids, that's all of us, a vision. And a vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. And God has put a vision in us that gets us fired up, that gets us passionate. It's a picture of the future. It's a picture of the way things ought to be. And not all of our visions are the same. In fact, all of ours are unique and different. But he has given us that passion to do something great for the kingdom. Every single one of us is called to take a mountain, to take a summit for the kingdom of God. We are all world changers. And Jesus was talking about this once in one of his parables. Parables were allegorical stories that explained spiritual truths. He uh, called this the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower... People, the people of God were represented by soil, and Jesus was called the sower. And the sower was walking around the soil and just scattering seeds and seeing if they would take plant and take root. And he said that there are four kind of categories that, peop- that the soils would fall into. The first soil was so hard on top that the seed just rested on top of the ground didn't actually go in and a bird which represents the devil flew by and stole the seed away and for some people i know for myself before i've believed god can never do anything amazing through me you know look what i did last night look what i did last week god can never use me to do something great and god's like no i want to do amazing things for you but because of that belief that i had that, that, serious, that actually repels what God is trying to say to me. The seed just rested on top and was stolen away. The second category of soil is that the seed does take root and it grows up quickly, but then when hard stuff comes in life, it's abandoned. So these are people that find out what their life's vision are, what their passion is, the wrong that they're called to make right, and it grows up right away. But then something tough comes, or whatever hard situation comes, job is lost, whatever it is, and the dream kind of fades away because of the hard thing. The third soil was uh, that it, the uh, seed was planted, it grew up, but then thorns wrapped around it, and Jesus said that these were cares of the world, and that... Um, other things started competing with us for the extraordinary destiny that God wanted to do in us. And it choked the life out of that dream that he put in our heart. The fourth one was good soil. The seed planted, it grew up, and it, and it bared fruit 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And John Wimber used to say that what God does in us, he wants to do through us. John Wimber was the first, one of the first major leaders of the vineyard. And what I think it means that the, fruit, that the seed grew up and bore fruit 30 and sixteen and 100 fold is that what God does in me, what he does in my life, he wants to do 100 times as much through me. And that's true for all of us. That the, that the amazing work that God has done in us, he wants to do through us 30 and 60 and a hundredfold. You have an extraordinary destiny. There is no mediocre, average, normal, ordinary Christian. The God of the universe, the maker of everything literally lives inside of you and is working through you. And all you have to do to see God-like things done through you is be open to him and let him work and let him move. We all have an extraordinary destiny like Samson did. Samson was set apart from birth to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines. So let's keep going along in the story of Samson. Skip to Judges 13, 24 through 25. Let's read this. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson and the child grew up and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahenadan between Zora and Eshtael so the holy spirit is blessing Samson from a very young age as a child the holy spirit is coming upon him and teaching him and stirring him and then uh, the, the whole, then, then the Spirit of the Lord begins to stir his heart to start stepping into that destiny. There, all, there is sometimes a waiting period. And it can get frustrating when we know that God has amazing things for us, but we kind of feel stalled. But there's a scripture out of Galatians 6 where Paul says to the Galatian church, he says, do not give up in doing what is right because you will reap an amazing harvest at the right time. And so we can take comfort in that, that even if we know what that vision is that God has given us and we know what that passion of our heart is, but we feel stalled that he is just preparing us up for the right time. and We got to keep pressing on. And so, unfortunately, we don't have time to really unpack the whole story of Samson, not even close to as much time. So let me give you a quick refresher of it a summary of it to refresh your memory, and then we'll go through a couple of parts of it that were especially speaking to me as I was reading it. So if you've heard the story of Samson before, you might remember that there are two big things that really characterize his life. First one was that he achieved devastating victories for the kingdom of Israel against the Philistines. The second thing is that this is the part that we didn't really hear about in Sunday school. He continually sins against God. We're going to read about some of that in a second, but over and over again, it's really incredible how unfaithful he was to God in certain ways, yet God still used him in extraordinary ways. Um, So the theme really of chapters 14 and 15, as we'll find out, we're not going to read it now, we're only going to read a couple of passages from that. The theme, though, of chapters 14 and 15 is God, the Holy Spirit, will come upon Samson, and he will do something incredible, and then he will fall into disobedience and sin, and then the, Holy, and then the Spirit of God will come upon him again, and it's kind of this back-and-forth thing. It's really interesting. So, let's read verses 1-3 through 3 of chapter 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. That's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. See, not the, not the G-rated story of Samson that we all heard in Sunday school. So imagine being Samson's parents. You have two angelic visitations before he's even conceived. And the angel of the Lord is telling you that your son, which you thought you could never have is going to do incredible things for Israel. And Samson is born supernaturally, miraculously. And as he's growing up, the spirit of the Lord is blessing him. And you as his parents can see that. And then the spirit starts to stir up his heart to step into his destiny. And so you see him go out. And then the first thing he does is marry someone, marry one of the enemies. Talk about an anticlimactic start to Samson's incredible ministry, you know? And the big point I want to pull from this is, is that towards the end of the story of Samson, you might remember that he meets a woman named Delilah. And Delilah gets a grip over his heart so strongly that she actually, betr- that he actually allows himself to be betrayed by her into the hands of the Philistines, and so at the beginning of his life here, we see him falling into that same pattern, marrying someone just because of lo- just because of you know he liked how you know it looked good to him. Is I think is what it said down there, it looked good to him, and so get her for me as a wife, mom and dad. How many parents want to hear that from their kids? <laughs> And what I want to say is that character flaws like that—they are actually warning signs of that which could rob me of my destiny, and that is not that, and that's regardless of how the Holy Spirit is currently working through me. Samson would eventually be taken out of the game, and this is in this this passage right here. This is a warning sign of that. And so the point that what I really felt like God was saying to me is that I need to, no matter how many amazing things God is doing through me, if I don't remain intentional about my character, that can be the very thing that snares me down the road. And that the Holy Spirit working strongly through me is not an excuse not to work on my character and to continually grow up in that way in the faith. After Samuel marries one of the enemies, and by the way, in case you didn't know, that was actually against God's law. God had ordered the Israelites to only marry another Israelite. And so Samson was breaking God's law in doing that. Second thing Samson does is eat honey out of a lion corpse, which is wrong on multiple levels. But besides the grossness of it, it was unclean to touch any dead thing, especially to eat out of any dead thing for the Jews in this time. And so the first two things he does is break God's law. Then a bunch of other stuff happens that we're not going to get to, but here's one especially powerful thing that God does through him. Let's read Judges 15 verses 9 through 15. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. The men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. So earlier on in the passage, Samson and Phil and the Philistines are like battling back and forth. Like Samson, it's crazy. He catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts torches between their tails and sends them out into Philistine farmland and burns up all their crops. Like, you can't make that story up, <laughs> you know? Um, and the Philistines burn his house down, and then he kills, like, 30 of them. And so there's, like, this battle going on. So anyways, back, we're, uh, we're starting now at uh, verse 11, which is not up there, but see if you can find it. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson... Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. They said to him, We have come down to bind you, so that that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out and took it and killed a thousand men with it. So Samson... First, two things he does is break God's law. Then he gets into this crazy skirmish, fight, drama with the Philistines. Yet the Holy Spirit still comes upon him strongly here, and he kills a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. And the point I want to make here is that signs in one, this is a quote I got from a pastor named Bill Johnson in California. Signs and wonders, miraculous things that God does through us, they don't confirm us. They confirm his word. If the Holy Spirit wants to do something powerfully through me, that's not him saying, hey, you know, Luke, you're perfect. You got everything going on right. Don't worry about your character. That's him saying, when I said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in Acts 1a, I meant it. Signs and wonders do not confirm people. They confirm the word of God. Second thing I want to say is this mistakes cannot take us out of the destiny that God has for us. It wasn't the mistakes that Samson made. In fact, right after this, that we just read, you know what he does? He goes into a foreign city, a city of the Philistines and sleeps with a prostitute. It's in there, not the Sunday school version, I'm telling you, read it for yourself, Judges 13 through 16. It's really interesting. But Samson, although he's making all these mistakes through his life, although he's sinning all throughout his life, it does, not take, it does not stop God from using him and from him living out his destiny. What does prevent Samson from living out the extraordinary destiny that God called him to was Delilah. Delilah it was that he's, he began to treasure something in his heart more than the destiny that God had given him and, then, and the love that he had for God. That's what takes us out. If you make mistakes, you are not being disqualified from doing amazing things and having God work through you in amazing ways. Mistakes, we're human. We're going to make mistakes. But if we treasure Jesus above everything else, If we just make that our top priority, God will do way beyond what we ever thought through us. So let's read a little bit about Delilah. I wanted to read verses 4 through 17, but let's just read verses 13 through 17. So this is the moment where Delilah betrays Samson and Samson falls out of his destiny into the hands of the Philistines. So here we go. Verse 13. Then Delilah said to Samson, up to now you have deceived me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pin, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into the web. And she fastened it with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart. And said to her, a razor has never come upon my head. For I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaved, then my strength will leave me and I'll become weak and be like any other man. His soul was annoyed to death. That's kind of funny, isn't it? (laughs) It's, It's a cool story. So at that moment where Samson revealed the secret of his strength to Delilah, what Samson was really doing was making a statement that I treasure my love for Delilah more in my heart than I do my love for God. And what happens? If you know the story, in his sleep, she shaves his head. She wakes him up. The Philistines are there. He can't move. The Philistines take him prisoner. They gouge out his eyes. They put him in a prison, and he's forced to push a grindstone and now, in the end of the story, Samson calls upon God one last time and says, God, you know, he's blind. He has his hands between two pillars. Maybe you've seen cartoons. He says, God, let me, let me, go, let me have one last hurrah against the Philistines. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes back upon him, and he pushes these two pillars down in this big building, and 3,000 Philistines die. He kills more in his death than in his life. And it shows that God will redeem our lives whenever, you know, if, if I ever begin to treasure something more than God in my heart, which I have as a Christian, God will redeem that. He won't forsake us. But if you notice, in the story, Samson never delivers the people of Israel from the Philistines. He doesn't live out. The destiny that God had put him, had set apart for him for at birth. And the reason for that is that he allowed something to grip his heart more fiercely than what God had for him. I told you at the beginning, I want to say one thing we can absolutely never do if we want to live at our full potential. And that is we cannot let anything grip our heart more than love for Jesus. He has to always have number one priority if we want to live out the extraordinary destiny that he has prepared for us since before we were born. You know that in the Psalms, David says, I, God says to David, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. God has had an extraordinary destiny planned for each one of us since before we were born. That's the one thing we absolutely cannot do. What is the one thing we have to do? Well, I could explain in my own words, but I'm just going to use the Bible because Paul says it better than I think I could. If you know Paul, I mentioned him earlier. He was a super important Christian missionary. He planted all of the churches, the first churches in modern-day Turkey and Europe, changed the world. By spreading the gospel. And in Acts 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, because the Jews don't like what he's doing, that they're probably going to imprison him at best and murder him at worst. And so Paul had planted this church in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem sailing, but he stops in Ephesus to kind of give his last words to the Ephesian elders of the church there. And so he's telling them about where he's going and they're all weeping and crying. And then Paul starts talking about how because of the gospel of Christ, he understands that wherever he goes, he's going to be a victim of suffering and persecution. But then he says this in verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value to myself. If only I may fulfill, I finished my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. I do not count my life of any value to myself. If we want to live out the destiny that God has for us, if we want to be world changers, all we have to do is give our life to that. I do not count my life of any value to myself. You know, there are a lot of really great Christian organizations in, in Cincinnati even that their big kind of mission is to like bring together a hundred different churches and, you know, find like the one thing that they all agree on, which is usually like Jesus is God. And then, you know, find two worship songs that all the churches can be at least tolerant of and then worship and pray. I don't really know what else they do. And these are, these are great ministries, and God uses them. But here's what I want to say. God doesn't need a 100 churches to come together to change the world. In fact, he doesn't even need one church. All he needs is one man or woman who is willing to say that, that I do not count my life of any value to myself. If we can just give ourselves to that, if there's just one person in here, that can live that out. I do not count my life of any value to myself. If only I may finish his ministry, then the world will be changed. He did it through Paul. He did it through Moses. He did it through Peter. He's done it through all tons of people through history. And you know what? They all started out as ordinary. None of them were born world changers. None of them as a newborn were changing the world. God does extraordinary through the ordinary. And it doesn't really, it's pretty simple. It can be difficult as anything as we go out, but it's pretty simple. I do not count my life of any value to myself. Just one person in this room could live that out. The world would be changed. Imagine if we all did. Imagine if all the people of God did. What would this world look like? I want to invite the worship team to come back out. We're going to worship. And we like to worship around here. Worship is fun. And would you all mind standing with me as I pray? I'm going to pray. Wilson's going to come back up here to lead us into the next part of the night. And then we're going to worship night, next part of the morning. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the amazing things that you are already planning to do through us. And we say that we're open to them. And we say, use us. So we invite you here, Holy Spirit. Bless this time. Bless this
1: worship. Awesome. So now we're going to do the declaration together. Remember, the declaration is just the kind of proclamation we're all making together to tell our hearts and our mind to agree with, like, truths about ourselves that we're not necessarily always thinking. So, if the declaration is ready, here we go. Jesus, you are the light of the world. Because I am in you and you are in me, I am also God's light to the world. Thank you, God, for meeting all my needs so that I have more than enough to give to your kingdom. I give to honor your desire and purpose to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus throughout the world. Amen. Awesome. So you guys can grab a seat, and I'm gonna welcome the ushers to come on forward to receive the offering. And as they come forward, I just want to say that, yeah, we're we've put this part of the service towards the worship end so that we really remind ourselves that as we give, we really are worshiping. We really are saying, Lord, like I don't want to worship you just with my song and just by raising my hands, I want to worship you with my finances and I want to worship you with every part of me. So I'm going to pray. And then also communion teams, you can go ahead and head to the back and get ready to uh, serve communion. So Jesus, I just thank you so much for your love and I just bless everyone in this room. I just release um, surprise sources of income, financial blessings, raises, and promotions, and your mercy just on everyone in the room. We love you so much. We thank you for your kingdom and for how much you love us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ushers, you can receive the offering. And after the offering basket passes you, feel free to head to one of the communion stations and get communion and then come up front for worship.